Welcome to Jokup, podcast about agile life and monkeys. Hi, Joe. Woohoo! Hey, Jakob, how are you? I'm well. How are you doing? I'm doing great for three reasons. One, this is uh, podcast number 20 for you and I. I think Woo-hoo. that's 10 longer than we thought we'd go, and I'm really that's happy true. we did. And uh, just the other day, you told us we got 1,000 listens as well. Yeah, yeah it's exciting. Amazing. Yeah, that's a, that's a lot of talking. <laughs> um, and then the third and the most important reason today is because Gareth Holbrook is with us. Say yes. hi, Gareth. Hello, how are you doing? Oh, fantastic. Um, Gareth comes to us from uh, sometimes sunny but not lately uh, Auckland, <laughs> <laughs> where um, he headed up an agile practice recently, now has gone on his own. And what, what are you doing now, Gareth? So I'm going back to consulting. The the uh, the few years I spent leading uh, what we call tactical delivery practice um, was really for me to cut my teeth as an FTE to have an internal change. Um, but my my heart is really back in in consulting that because that's because I can blend that with the farm. I've got a farm in Northland and my other passion, which is triathlon, and I've got a few big races coming up later this year. Wow, three really big things that take a lot of time. How do you balance yeah. it all? <laughs> um, well, as you know, right, this, this today I was uh, throttling on, on down to Auckland from Northland and I got here just in time. So I, I spend my time um, really making sure that I'm meticulous with the spare time I've got. Uh, and we don't have kids as well. I suppose that's one big thing. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I remember uh, just to share a story, how I first had a chance to um, listen to Garrett was when we arrived here maybe five and a half years ago year after from Poland to, to Auckland. I think it was maybe February and um, I found that there was this Agile Auckland meetup and I was like, oh, let's go and, and see what it, is, what it was about. And uh, it was guards talking about Ironman and Agile. And because mm. I was into both of these things, I was like, whoa, this is so awesome. This is the city <laughs> I should be, I should be living in. Uh, so yeah, <laughs> uh, and it looks like you're still in both, both topics, Garrett. Yeah, um, so I finally have managed to secure, um, uh, been, been uh, invited to race at the Ironman World Champs in Kona, Hawaii. It should oh, have been wow. this October. Wow. Um, it's now next February because of COVID, but um, it's not because I'm particularly fast. It's because <laughs> I've just done so many of them. I've done 20 iron distance races now. Oh, and wow. so I've always been passionate about it. And it's not necessarily about winning the race. It's the challenge and being able to dine out on it. Uh, and it, it keeps me healthy because it gives me a goal. It's quite a, it's quite a big, hairy, audacious goal every time I do a, an Ironman. And every Ironman has its different challenge. Um, but it's, it's something I, I love doing. And, and I'm very lucky as well. My wife does the same. So we've both traveled around the world. We both race at the World Champs at different distances. Um, but this will be my first time of doing the Ironman Worlds. Can you explain wow. to, to our listeners how long is the distance? Because not everyone needs to Yeah, know. so it's a triathlon. It starts with a swim, uh, which is two and a half miles or 3.8K uh, swimming. Um, then it's uh, a cycle, uh, 180 kilometers or 120 uh, miles. And then finally, if you're not tired enough, um, a marathon of 42K, 26 miles. <laughs> um, so... Uh, not the, the fastest people uh, would do it in eight hours, uh, eight and a half hours here in New Zealand. Um, the fastest woman, maybe nine, nine and a half. You have to do it within 17 hours. Um, I usually come in 11 and a half, just a bit slower than an 11 and a half. My best ever time was just under 11. Oh, wow. 
I'm, I'm sweating and I'm just listening to you. I mean, <laughs> Joe, it, so- it sounds like our next weekend. Well, mate, okay. you know, so, to, 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 really, to really hammer it, because it's, it's all about the, the, the prestige and the, and the esteem of doing it, I suppose. But I, I did Kiwi Man a few years ago, um, in, which is in Taranaki. And it's the iron distance. It's a bit longer on the bike and you climb Taranaki three times. And then the marathon finishes by climbing up the mountain. And I'd entered it again this year. It was cancelled, but I'm in for next year. Mm-hmm. And it's a double extreme triathlon. So I'm going to do, I'm going to do the whole Ironman on the Friday, and then the following day do it all again. Oh wow! So <laughs> yeah. I've got a surprise for our listeners. Some most of the time we start with agile or something, and then we end up on monkeys somewhere. I think we started <laughs> with a monkey on this one. Yeah. But it, but it's not a monkey. Surprise, surprise! It's by design, Gareth. Yeah, Why so, are we talking about Ironman? Why are we talking about these extreme sports so much? Well, on an yeah, agile you, show, no less. Yeah, you, you raised it, Jakob. So five, five or so years ago, um, I did a quick talk at um, uh, Agile Auckland. Now, initially, I was going to talk about uh, one of the banks and the agile journey there, but they said, uh, please don't talk about us. So in the last <laughs> minute, the, the president of Agile Auckland says, hey, why don't you talk about you know, how you think as an Ironman, your mindset as an Ironman, and how you apply agile and lead principles? And I thought, yeah, that's, that's quite a good thing. So I, I spoke there, Jakob, you were there. Uh, and since then, I've spoken actually around the world, really low-key events, not big keynotes. Um, but I went to, I was in Stockholm for a short space of time, and I spoke to a few Agile coaches there. And really, the, the purpose of what I'd like to talk about today is how I think as an Ironman athlete. And if you think about racing one of these events, it's so complex and adaptive and unpredictable. You have to have a plan. There's no doubt you, you can't go into it without planning but then you've got to be able to respond to change and you've got to have that resilience and grit and have a goal and understand if things change, you have to change your, your goal. So the way I think as an Ironman, I think perfectly maps over to the way I try and work as an agile coach and how I encourage people to work in business as well. And there's, there's a handful of different things, techniques I use, and I was going to work through all of them. Um, but in particular, one thing today was just talking about swimming. So, um, my, I'm, I'm, I come from a running background. I've got really long legs uh, and I ran as a kid, ran for years. Um, but that makes you not such a good swimmer. Um, swimmers have long torsos and big feet and shorter legs. Um, <laughs> but also, I'm, I'm not very uh, supple around the shoulders. and My technique isn't great either. So I can kind of not drown and my swim isn't great. <laughs> and, 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 and I see swimming as the, the kind of thing you do before the race starts uh, and in Ironman you can you can sort of get away with that in the shorter distances it's it can make a big difference but you can kind of get away with it um I've in the past I've been seasick believe it or not swimming in a lake I get seasick and that that's the only time I've not finished an Ironman was because I was really sick and had to pull out um but today I'd like to talk about how how I look at swimming how I try and improve with my swimming and my relationship with the coaches I've had over the years nice Please do. So, um, Jakob, you, you, you do some sport. How, how do you swim? How, how's your swim? Very poorly. And we actually had an, uh, two episodes about that, how I struggle, because I, I am the same uh, like you. I have long legs. Yeah. And I never, as, as a child, I never learned proper technique. So yeah. now I, every time I, I'm in the water and I try to swim freestyle, I struggle so much. Uh, it's better than what it used to be, but it's yeah. still a big struggle. So... Um, when I got first got into triathlon, firstly, because uh, I was a quite a good runner and I enjoyed cycling, I, I wanted to do 
triathlon in England. And I, I was I had a girlfriend at the time. And she said, you can never do triathlon. You're not a swimmer. You don't even try. And and if you want to get me to do something, tell me I can't do it. <laughs> and so I, I started to dabble. I came to Auckland in 2000. I did a few marathons and that kind of stuff. And I joined the tri club here in Birkenhead. And I did a few laps and, and they said, great, uh, there's lots we can work on. <laughs> right. So they could see a whole range of things. But I, I first got one-on-one coaching by Zoe Baker. So this was down in Christchurch. And Zoe at the time had the world record for the 50 meters breaststroke, uh, but she was a really all round swimmer, mm-hmm. a, a British swimmer. And she, she had, the, as, as, as they often do with the swim coaches, they just watch you for a few minutes and then they get you to the pool side. And she said, you know, there's all of these different things going on. Um, but for the next few sessions, I'm just going to deal with your kick uh, because the way I was kicking was not helping. And, and I'm going to map this straight to any change in, in organizations, any mm. business change, And we can go into an organization, you know, as agile coaches, and you can go, well, I'm seeing all of these different things. And you you Mm. might want to fix them all at once. But imagine uh, if Zoe said, right, kick straight, hips out, rotate, arm high, breathe out, breathe in, breathe out. It'd be so much, I I wouldn't be able to build a habit. So for weeks on end, all I would do was kick. In fact, I started holding the side of the pool and just kicking. And she taught me to get the feet to kind of, in a little bit and then throw, throw the legs from the hips rather than kick from the legs and it took uh, repeated and deliberate practice you know you've heard of the Anders Ericsson uh, peak you know the 10,000 hours that kind of stuff mm-hmm. and it's true and the 10,000 hours actually isn't um, um, but what he did say in the in the, in the book in, out, uh, in, in Outliers is that it's about repeated and deliberate practice so I wouldn't get any better as a swimmer just swimming more I had to focus on what my weak points were. And to begin with, that was my kick. Um, but here I am, that was back in 2004. So now it's 2020 and I'm nine months away from the world champs. Yet I've gone back to basics and I'm now I'm being coached by Hayden at the Tepid Baths in Auckland. And again, we because it's the off season now, um, we're looking at uh, techniques and doing real basic things like rotation drills and just drills repeated again and again, like martial arts. Because when it's hardwired into your brain and you don't think about it, that's when when you're tired, your your technique doesn't drop away. Um, mm-hmm. So, so I've had a number of different coaches um, during my time, and you know, it was, it was about six months ago. I was I was swimming up and down the lane, and Hayden pulled me to one side and he said, "Hey, hey, Gareth, um, I've noticed." A few times now, when you get to the end, you don't just touch the end of the pool. You sort of kind of stand up and hold on the ledge. And he said, don't do that because it, it's creating a mental model to, to stop swimming when you get to the end. So you want to continue to swim. And I said, oh, thanks. I didn't, I didn't realize I was doing that. Cheers for that. So then I, I carried on. And then as I was uh, swimming that next length, I thought, you know, because I'm a coach, my day job is as an agile coach. Uh, but I was grateful, you know, that I'm paying this guy to teach me. And I was grateful mm. for the feedback. I'm there to get better. And I'm just thinking, you know, if, if I saw a developer who uh, wasn't focusing or was bringing on too much work, I, as is my one, I would point it out and say, look, this isn't helping you. You're overloaded. Too much whip. And often people go, thanks. And, and you know, you have to build trust as a, as a coach. You need, you need permission to coach. You can't just go in and tell people what to do. Um. But I think we've all, I don't know if you've, I'm sure you've had this experience of people saying, well, why are you telling me that? You know, are you, are you the scrum police? Why are you telling me this? 
and and it's strange because my mindset as as an athlete is to continually learn. If you, if I can find that one thing to make me go slightly faster, I'll do it. Mm-hmm. At work, wouldn't it be great to encourage people? And I'd love to know how to help people think differently. That when when you give this guidance, it's because we all want to go better, right? We all want to increase and improve the outcomes. Yeah, it's it's so true. It's so true. Like I I, I see this too. Um, you know, from from day one, when you start to be a scrum master and maybe you move on to be a coach, maybe you don't, but you're always encouraged in the literature uh, and in the reasons that you were hired is, is people use the words high performing team. They all want high performing teams, but quite often no one ever tells the teams these things or ask the teams if they want to be high performing teams or um, are willing to change their environment to support a high performing team. Um, and so you, you are left in this weird position where anywhere else, like in sport, um, in life coaching, anywhere else where people approach you as a coach to help you grow, you, that conversation, that advice, that, that external perspective is so grateful, but it's not always the case in business, is it? No, um, it, it reminds me of a conversation I had uh, a while ago, and it was a CTO who he endorsed the idea of having every team having a, a, an, a Kaizen coach. An agile coach, and he said, uh, "Look, for this particular project, we don't need a coach." He said, "It just people just need to do the work." He said, "I've done this before." Uh, now, I'm not saying I don't see the value in coaching, but here we just need to get on and do it. And, and I think, um, as soon as I hear that, <laughs> yeah, um, I think you know, in, in the short term, you probably wouldn't notice anything because there would be behavior patterns that just pre-exist. Um, mm-hmm. It's like if I if I don't brush my teeth tomorrow morning, no one will notice. If I don't brush it all week, yeah, a few people would notice. If I don't brush my teeth for a whole year, they'll start falling out. It's like you know you, you miss the gym, you're not going to suddenly put on pounds of weight. But if you don't train at all, it's going to make a difference. And I think that's the difference with the, the the issue with coaching is you don't ever sense a single coaching session making a profound difference, or very rarely, um, especially in work. But in the absence of it over a prolonged period, you start to build bad habits and then there's a lot of energy to undo those habits. What do you think, Joe? Yeah, I mean, I think um, I think it's it's weird. I mean, like there's there's so many things that you're taught on how to do and how to approach it, approach these situations, which um, the dynamic isn't necessarily set up for the, the, the best relationship. Um, you know, it's, it's the coaching contract and it's um, sort of trying to understand the needs and side, side with their most immediate need. There are all these things yeah. that you can do, but um, if the team itself does not want to be quote unquote high performing, you shouldn't coach. Well, you, you can if you want, but you're, you, no one's going to be happy if you try to coach them to be high performing and really they just want to get on. The, the, bit, the worst thing that, that you can do is mix the expectation up with what people are willing to do. And the problem, I love your example that you gave is like, they just want to get on and do it and it'll be fine. And in some ways, that's kind of like the worst thing in the world. It's like when you release a product and the product does neither good nor bad, it just kind of yeah. does meh. And, and so you didn't get a heap of value from it, you know, and, and when you release something, you want it to be like really valuable, but it's like just enough value. And it's almost worse that way because it, it's, it's, keeping the, it's keeping the gears greased a little bit, but it's not actually getting a reaction. No one's able to focus on it as if there's something to improve because it's not so loudly bad or so loudly below. So teams that can just get in there and do it are great, but um, 
but you can almost waste a coach in that space unless that team wants to be better than what yeah, they've already accomplished. And, you know, I must admit, um, I talk about the mindset. I, I'm not perfect. And, you know, one, one thing that sets me off sometimes, and now I'm going back to triathlon now, is so the, the coach gives me feedback. Thank you. Great. When I go on cycle tours or, or training mm-hmm. camps, there's always that guy there, right? And he, he'll, he'll see me and I'm not. <laughs> and, and, and he'll start giving me unsolicited coaching. Um, he, he might see me on the bike and, and yeah. I, I'm time trial bike, relatively speaking, um, but I'm not much of a hill climber. Um, and, you know, you'll see, see people see that I struggle on the hills and they'll whisper in my ear, oh, mate, you mm-hmm. need to push a bit harder there. And, and, and so, <laughs> mate, you know, firstly, to coach, you need to know, you need to know who you're coaching. Uh, and secondly, you need to ask permission. Yeah. And, and now this is mm. an important thing as well. With, with all of the people who've ever, I've ever been coached by, who have paid for coaching, I've really respected them. They've either had world records or they've, like Steve Farrell, who's coached the Olympic team, the New Zealand Olympic team, and John Hellermans. Um, or mm. like Hayden is just is renowned for his ability to coach. And it's okay also to be coached by somebody who's your peer. So one thing Steve Farrell does um, in Birkenhead in the swimming pool there is he'll give us some technique exercises and then he'll get us to pair up to critique each other mm. because because he can't, if there's 20 of us, he can't see all of us all at once. And also by coaching somebody else, you can start to see your own habits. But in swimming, you can't see what you're doing wrong. So um, it's, it's a good, it's a pair technique is really good. But there's a difference between saying, right, everyone pair up and critique each other. And somebody going up to me in the pool saying, hey, mate, I notice your arms are dropping and all that kind of stuff. And, and I, I straight away start telling them, you, you know, I'm a coach. I'm not trying to tell everyone. It sets me off because I, I think there's, uh, I think it's disrespectful to coach somebody if they've not asked for it. Mm. And, and, yep. Yeah, and, and it, it's it's horrible because it could be a good intention, but you're right. It's actually there, there's they're they're, they're going to miss the context. You probably already know it, and you're focusing on something yeah. else. And um, it is very frustrating. And I've been a coach, not not a, not an athlete coach, <laughs> but like a team coach. Um, and I learned very early on that you do get that response. If you go in with the yeah. best intention, you're like, Oh, Hey, I noticed this. And they kind of give you that, that look, you know, that look, probably the look that you give the guys yeah. that are telling you about your stroke or, or getting up the hill or whatever. Yeah, I mean, Michael Bundy's <laughs> new book, the coat, uh, the, the advice trap. Mm. Uh, it talks exactly about that. And David Rock, mm. he talks about the neuroscience yeah. of telling people what to do. And you, you, people need to draw their own insights and you need to dance around it. Um, yeah. for it to be self self insane. Mm. And you know, there's Rick Wells is another great coach. And so he was coaching my wife. And so she told me about this. She was really impressed. He videoed her at, at Newmarket Pool. And then he, he pulled her to one side, he showed her the video and said, What do you see here? Mm. <laughs> and and, so, and sometimes coaches have done mm. that with me as well, videoed me. Um, yeah. I was in an endless pool six months ago in Walter there. He he would coach me, he he would video me and then would sit and watch the video together. And he would say, look, you've missed this, but I was breathing. And it's because when I was looking to breathe, I was looking 90 degrees mm. rather than 30 degrees right, or something like that. And it was that I've done that all my life. I've never known. Um, but he just said, right, I'm going to put a shoe on the side of the pool. Whenever you breathe, just look at the shoe. Right. Um, but we could only see that when we both looked at it. And now I'm very conscious when I breathe, not to breathe sideways, because when I do that, I kind of talk and fall into the water a bit. I mean, these are really minute things, but they make a big difference in swimming. 
but the thing is i trust walter implicitly not only does he know his stuff but he's can, he can see me from the outside and he's unbiased i mean he wouldn't give me duff advice why would he mm. and so so i trust him implicitly it all it all reminds me of uh, and you you talk about deliberate practice and it all reminds yeah. me of the of the concept of deliberately developmental organizations from the everybody's culture book uh, when they talk about companies like Bridgewater and the Curian and Next Jump when the, the organizations are based on, on feedback and you are expected to hear feedback and give feedback everyone almost all yeah. the time to the extreme mm. where uh, I think in Bridgewater they they record every conversation happening in and and the and the conversations uh, available to everyone and you're wow. expected to have this uh, crazy transparent radical conversations about your uh, about your performance i i really like that you know um i think um since that google aristotle project and everyone and goldman and everyone talking about um psych safety psychological safety is really important but if you look at the highest performing teams in the world the often military and as you know, I've got a military background. But if you look at the Navy SEALs, the, one of the reasons they bond together so well is that they give each other brutal feedback. And uh, Kim Scott talks about it in Radical Candor. And a lot of clients I work at, one of the big things I do is help people provide um, really a, a appropriate feedback. And often, firstly, people say, Gareth, I've got feedback for you, which is like it's like the police lights in the rearview mirror, right? Because <laughs> straight away... the yeah. But the second thing is, usually, Gareth got feedback for you. Jimmy told Jane that Jack said, and no one will tell me to my face, right? Yeah. So uh, I, I try and encourage, I solicit feedback and, and directly to me. It's not through a third party. That's feed forward. And, and feedback's only appropriate if you get it given back to you. Um, but that takes great courage. I mean, that's one of the values of Scrum, right? And w one thing that I think is that we need to be vulnerable. Leaders need to be able to solicit feedback. But... In order to have psychological safety, you also need to be courageous, which is action in the absence of safety. And only great cultures will emerge if we do have great feedback. And if you look at sports teams, right, if, if you're in a team, a rugby team, and, and you let the team down, they'll let you know. If you're in the military squad and you put, put other people's lives in danger, they'll let you know. But in the tech sector and, and in, in other realms, we're a little bit too soft, I think. Mm. Um, so I, one thing I'm currently trying to do is help people become more radical with the way they give feedback. Yeah. Um, That's really good. So, so close your eyes and pretend you're this guy I know named Gareth mm. Holbrook and <laughs> you, uh, you end up in Auckland in mm. the tech center, uh, and you, are, have a, a multicultural team. I think that's probably one of the reasons that tech is so hard to, to have that level of candor is because you have people from so many yeah. different cultures. How do you, how long, okay, so I'll ask some questions I know you can't answer because I know the answer is it depends, but yeah. just make up a number. Um, <laughs> um, what do you do to start building the culture to work up towards that level of candor and how long would it take you with a group of, say, five people you get a fair um, amount of time with? Well, I... I push quite hard and I admit I sometimes push too hard. First thing is vulnerability and I, I can be insanely arrogant, but also insanely humble. And I think showing humility and vulnerability helps. Um, <laughs> and I even did it there, right? By yeah. saying I was humble, I started off by saying I was arrogant. Um, but also what I do is seek feedback. So if I facilitate a session, I will go around and, and give the puppy eyes and say, was that okay? And, and, you know, tell me what I can do to improve. Because if I give permission to, to have feedback and people give feedback, then there's a sense of reciprocity. Mm -hmm. And then um, I 
I've been told I can be quite blunt. Now, that can really backfire. Um, and sometimes it can really backfire in the short term. But then in the long mm. term, people start to see that there's a consistency there. So if you if you're authentic and, you know, you, you're obviously not playing politics, then you usually get I get away with it, I think. Um, I, I did, 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 at Freedom, I had the nickname Hurricane Holbrook. Because <laughs> <So, laughs> I used to, yeah. Um, but you, you're asked how long. <laughs> you know, you can make, if I, if I was asked to form a team, um, I, I would hope that there was some level of trust within the first few weeks. But deep-seated trust, you're talking mm. a few months. Um, it, 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 yeah. I was about to say it depends. So this client's I'm at the moment. A few people already knew me. Um, <laughs> now the bad thing is, one in particular said we, you know, we could really have with Gareth helping us out. He's great. But that, the problem is that put me on a pedestal. So I'm not that great. As soon as as soon as people saw I wasn't as great as people said, they were disappointed. So I, often I say, don't talk me up. <laughs> I think you're pretty great. <laughs> but, I, but that's the problem, right? If you go, if you're this guy and everyone's talking about Gareth, 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 and then, and I don't talk to somebody for two yeah. weeks because this organization's got 140, they're going to feel really offended. Hmm. You know, he's too big for me, right? So it, yeah. it's all about vulnerability and, and you, you build trust through dem- demonstrating empathy. I mean, this is radical candor, right? You have to demonstrate yeah. you, you care personally. Um, so I, I don't get it right every time. I, and I have, Right, really upset some people, but um, I think it's about being consistent. Um, but you know, also being impatient, and you don't have all day, you know. So, <laughs> uh, uh, if if I could add to that, I think we, we if we go back to the deliberate practice, it's still mm. uh, one thing that you can do with teams in terms of feedback. You could actually have uh, sessions, workshops with team that you deliberately practice giving each other feedback. And yeah. uh, that's what I'm trying to do with, with, with others. When, whenever I, I facilitate an exercise or a workshop, there's always, um, so what was good? Let's give each other feedback mm. what was good. And let's focus on that. And in the next three minutes, we can only talk what was good. Don't talk about anything negative. Focus on what was good for yeah. three minutes. If it's silence, there's silence. But that's good. And then for next three minutes, what could be better? Talk only what could, what could be better. And then it gives people a chance to practice it, hear it from others. Yeah and be more safe about giving the positive feedback and the more constructive feedback. So one thing I, I, the, I delivered the agile facilitation training for, for IC agile. And I, I paired up with a friend of mine down in Wellington. I'm in business with him now, Aldo Rall. And when he, when he ran this course, this was four years ago now, it was great because within the facilitation training, we had all of these exercises and we took it in turns to run them. And at the end of the exercise, they said, right, okay. Um, Firstly, uh, team, what's all the good things? Give lots of reinforcing feedback. You know, the Susan Stock Scott stuff. And now, um, is it okay for us to tell you what else we saw? And then we would start talking through giving feedback. And mm-hmm. we would try and get people to be as brutal as possible because that's the only way you learn. But when it was culturally accepted and it was a norm, you could start really turning up the yes. handle by saying, you know, when you said this or you did that with your hand, it meant this. And oh right oh I'll I'll change that so people trust that you're you're giving good advice because you care so yes. it's practice yes. you, you've got to practice exactly. feedback and it, it's it's scary the first time it's it's all it's always hard we don't want to upset people and you know we don't want to be ostracized we're hardwired like that and you know to link it straight back to the the, the Iron Man if like last week I had my bike set up and the guy was going through everything that I could potentially improve 
and other things which would be a waste and no point improving. And I was hanging on his every word because that, that, the, the mindset of Kaizen is you look at every single 1% and how you can compound it. And so if somebody can give you some feedback and you can work with yeah. it, great. If you can't, well, that's fine. But if you don't listen, you'll never know. Exactly. Yeah. That's fantastic. So when you, um, do, do you find that um, you enjoy motivating teams or do you find you enjoy working with a motivated team? Uh because I actually know coaches on both sides of that spectrum. I'll, I'll be honest, I, I prefer being in person. <laughs> being in lockdown, it was tough over Zoom. Um, <laughs> I, I guess, you know, it's... I, I, I prefer them both for two reasons. One, tough teams keep me on my toes, uh, and I have to work hard. Mm -hmm. High-performing teams, I actually sometimes think it's a waste of time me being there, but it's great being on that bandwagon. But I don't claim... If it's a high-performing team, I try not to claim the success. So I can, I think I'm, I, I improve, I think I prefer working with teams that I can, be, can become high performing and motivated, I think. Okay. It's a good question. I've never been nice. asked that one before. Thank you. <laughs> but it's also <laughs> a good question um, to start asking teams what do they define as high performing? Because it, they may define it differently than we do. And then, you know, we can coach them towards one thing, but if they understand high performing as something else, we can get into some weird situations sometimes. Yeah. Um, but um, the, 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 the thing is, you're right, right? And we, we want teams to be self-directed and self-motivated. But sometimes teams may go, we're really high performing because we, you know, we never mm. pull in far too much. Yep. We, we're always, we have great fun. Uh, but we haven't delivered anything. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. So you need to say, well, actually, <laughs> we've got shareholders and we kind of need to make a profit. Otherwise, we're all going home. So, yeah, it, I, I think, so you need to kind of give that stimulus as well. I, and it's think, easy from the outside in to see that because yeah. it's like the, the swimmer who's making lots of splashing but not mm. going very well. That you want to say, well, I think, and he might think he's doing well, and you say, well, I think I can help you become better. In, interestingly, one thing that my... Hayden did the first time he saw my swim is he said you're swimming too fast and what he meant is my arms were moving too fast and <laughs> mm. he said and he used the technique uh, a phrase from the u.s army slowest move smooth is fast so for years i had a metronome in mm. my swim cap which would mm. beep and it'd be nice and slow oh that's hilarious because that's so it's cool only when you slow <laughs> and glide that you your technique improves yeah. and then on race day obviously you speed up but i was just creating a lot of froth in the water but not much forward motion. So in my mind, I was saying, mm. well, I'm going to swim faster. I'm just going to move my arms faster. And he said, no, actually, you want to move faster through the water, which means you've got to glide more. So slow down to speed up. Uh, and that was counterintuitive, right? Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Joe, awesome. I think that I think it's the third time when we talk about swimming in our podcast. I think next time we should record it on a pool. <laughs> There are lots of splashing sounds. Um, <laughs> kick. <laughs> I've got a bathtub. Will that count? <laughs> I can do laps really quick. Can you imagine? <laughs> Somebody you both know um, who's, who's big in the, in the Agile uh, community, he had a, a conference and he dialed in. And I heard lots of splashing sounds. And so I phoned him up later and I said, you were out fishing, were you? <laughs> <It wasn't>. Oh. <laughs> I, I <wasn't> <laughs> 
<laughs> Excellent. And we won't try to guess it. <laughs> oh, nice one. Hey, Gareth, thank you so much for spending time with us. Um, I always enjoy uh, our conversations. Yeah, thank you. I, I really enjoy talking about this stuff. And so having the, the chance to talk on this podcast, it was, uh, it was a, a real pleasure. It was an honor. And uh, it's really good that you're doing this and you're up to 20 now. I've, I've heard most of them. I should download more of them. <laughs> Um, so I'd be more than happy if if your hit rate goes up on this. If not, no, <laughs> I'd be more than happy to come back and talk about all this awesome. stuff because you know I, I love yarning about this yeah, kind of yeah. stuff. Absolutely, so thank you guys. Cheers. Absolutely. Tell tell our listeners how they can find you, LinkedIn, Twitter. How if someone wants to get um, in touch? Yeah, probably the best is LinkedIn. Uh, Gareth Holbrook. There's there is only one. Um, I I am quite prolific. I've got my own YouTube channel as well, so I do little agile nudges. Okay. Um, just the style of my style of work. It may not work for everyone. Um, so I, one thing I've talked about is the history of agile, um, going back a hundred years. There's a, a blog and a, a video I did a few months ago. Awesome. So yeah, YouTube and LinkedIn are probably wow. the two things. Thank you. Oh yeah, years. well Henry, well longer, but I, I started with Henry Ford. Right. Watch the YouTube, mate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very cool. cool. <laughs> we'll do. We'll do. Well, thank you very much. That wraps up episode 20, and we will meet all of you listeners in episode Bye. 21.